to the Gridiron Show, and then there were four. Yes, we'll be breaking every, breaking down every single game over the last weekend. As always, we'll look at the four teams eliminated and go in depth with those. We'll be speaking to the new Jags head coach, Doug Marone, and look at all the other head coaches that have been hired. And we'll be taking your Twitter questions. This is the Gridiron Show. That was definitely much better than the first time that I did it. You made the classic Will Gavin mistake of thinking you had too much to cram in, rushing it at the beginning, and then at the end going, oh, I need to fill for time. I'll mention Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really did. I hadn't even written down Twitter on the, the little bullet points that I work off. Oh, sorry, work off in inverted commas. Uh, hey, Will Gavin. Uh, Ollie Hunter here in the studio. Will Gavin down the line. What's going on, bird? Uh, Gridiron Show, of course, in association with Touchdown Trips. Head to touchdowntrips.com. Ben Mortimer, you know, maybe you're a Falcons fan and you want to head out to Atlanta this week. Maybe you're a Packers fan and you want to do the same. I actually know a Packers fan who on Twitter to me last night in a direct message just went, I'm going to Atlanta. Life's too short. And they've just booked a flight and they're heading out there and they're going to try to get a ticket when they get there. That's incredible. I love stuff like that. I love it. Uh, and, of course, the Patriots fans and the Steelers fans, we have to mention everyone, there's still plenty of time to get your Super Bowl packages booked and get your interest registered for our tour next year because it promises to be absolutely bombastic. We're keeping it to around the two grand mark per person. We're going for 10 days, three or four NFL games, a college game, a high school game, all in the dirty south. Loads of other great things planned as well. Ben Mortimer from Touchdown Trips has been meeting with the Louisiana State guys and the New Orleans guys and getting us all sorts of stuff planned out and booked in nice and early so uh, it's going to be amazing as and when it does happen and for those who have had some concerns don't worry our target will be to do it over two nfl weekends that do not have international series games so it will not affect you being able to go to wembley or twickenham yeah touchdowntrips.com or facebook.com forward slash touchdown trips um yeah yeah all great stuff love what they do at touchdown trips and gridiron-magazine forward slash Super Bowl LI to book your tickets for our Super Bowl party at Bloomsbury Lanes. They are selling like mildly warm cakes as we approach the final weekend before the Super Bowl matchup. Just three games left, Ollie Hunter, and we've got some crackers to talk about. Well, we've got a cracker to talk about uh, from the past weekend. There was a point halfway through the Green Bay Cowboys game where I was kind of watching it going, are we going to get a single good tight playoff game this year but don't worry they came out in the second half they made that second half cool. look good oh. and, and then uh, we got then we got another one afterwards even though um you were a little sort of tired you'd, you'd had a tough day at work but that again was another tight another really tight game and the the finale the was was intriguing to say the least what one for the purists more than it was really the, uh, enjoy- the earlier game i really enjoyed it wow uh, have, I, first- have i become a purist i don't <laughs> i really don't think so one of the first times uh, in uh, i think i think i can't remember it's the first time in steelers history or the first time in afc history one of the two where a team scored two or less touchdowns compared to the opposition and didn't win a game at the divisional stage and to have and to score two touchdowns to the kansas city chiefs and Hold your opposition to only field goals and to not win, that is bad. Yes, but there we go. We will get to all of that coming up in a little while. Uh, how are you, sir? Oh, um, I'm really tired. 
because uh, <laughs> I've watched uh, both games at your place, the second half of uh, the Green Bay game and then the entirety of the uh, Chiefs-Steelers game. But when I got home about half past four after driving back ridiculously fast from my house to uh, from your house to my house, I couldn't sleep. So I ended up watching Andy Murray in the tennis. Uh, I ended up going to bed <laughs> at about seven. Brilliant. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, strong work. Yeah. I, I don't think you should call that ridiculous. I think that's brilliant. So the, the adrenaline was really pumping, it, despite um, the game finishing hours hours and hours later. So And look, if you've not seen it yet, Instagram, Will Gav, go on there and check out the minute-long video of Ollie's reactions during the fourth <laughs> quarter. Truly, like, it's one of those things that I'm almost annoyed hasn't gone more viral. It's had quite a lot of views, and it's done well on like, Facebook and stuff, but it's one of those things I imagine that, you know, it could get picked up by a proper, uh, like, American website because it is a brilliant example of what a truly passionate fan goes through in one of those tight matchups. And I kind of debated to myself that if you lost, was I still going to post it online? Oh, yeah, uh, you would have definitely had to. Oh, I don't know if I would have done. Like, if, if say, you'd missed that field goal, uh, I might have posted it then and then done another video for overtime. But, uh, yeah, it's a br- It's so funny. I've watched it, like, 15 times. <laughs> like, yeah, I've watched it. <laughs> um, uh, Marta at work came up to me and said, you know you're famous. And I said, what? Why? You said, she said, yeah, everybody's watching your video at work. I was like, I haven't, I haven't shown it to anyone. So how do people know about it? It's weird, uh, but yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, it's a very funny vid. Yeah, check it out at Will Gav on Instagram. I don't think it's that, is it? It is. That. Is it Will Gav? You, you, you've always got to get your Instagram and your Twitter handles the same, mate. And Will Gavin was gone, so uh, on Twitter, so I've gone Will Gav across the board. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. I'm only me. verified on Twitter though. Yeah. devastating because i don't use instagram ever i'm going to use it lots at the super bowl i'm going to make it my new thing uh okay yeah i think that's a good idea yeah there we go I all like right that. anyway mate there is a third person involved in this as well oh it's yeah not introduced it and it's always like we're coming up we're going to be hearing from doug marone the new head coach of the jacksonville jaguars is that our third person is he here uh i was pretty devastated when gus bradley got fired not because I thought it was a bad decision, because it was obviously the right decision, but because he is a delightful man, and I, I, I thought I'd never love again. And then I spent 20 minutes on the phone as part of a conference call, but basically me and Liam from Gridiron uh, hijacked the whole thing and asked, I think, nine out of ten questions. Um, well, so- that's because everybody else, and I'm sorry if you listen to the show and <laughs> you work in the media, but when you go on those conference calls, just get involved, man. Just don't... Jun- don't- let, or don't, Will Gavin, it makes it sound like an exclusive interview then. That's a very good point, yeah. Uh, keep <laughs> Stum, we'll do it all. I've fallen in love again. We talk about darts, we talk about his favourite pubs in Bushy, we talk about how much he loves London. He's a New Yorker who prefers London to New York. I mean, there are a lot of New Yorkers that are like that, I think. No, New Yorkers are proud no, 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 no. of being from New York. They are, but they also love that London's actually quite clean and um, safe. I don't know if it's that much cleaner, having been to both. Oh, I think it's much cleaner. Nah, I don't know about that. Mate, don't know about that, my you're, you're wrong. Let's ask uh, Matt Sherry. Uh, hey, Matt Sherry. I always like leaving him on hold for a while, because <laughs> I know that he's sitting there getting annoyed that he's not involved in the conversation. And I'm, I'm always itching to talk. At the minute, I'm just imagining what I would say <laughs> if I was um, in this video that I'm watching of a 25-foot alligator walking through a nature reserve. 
I, I like that you've decided to just completely distract yourself from what we're doing rather than sit and listen to us. Brilliant. That's really boding well for how well this podcast is going to be received on social media. When we it, was, it. it was actually because I was just checking to see if there'd been any, any flash news while you guys were, were chatting, but there hasn't. You wanted to bring us some breaking news. We did do a poll on Twitter because coming up we're going to be talking of which of the four divisional teams, uh, divisional round eliminated teams, is best set up to win it all next year. Unsurprisingly, the Cowboys are leading that with 74%. We're going to discuss all of those teams that went out uh, over this week. I just that while I was winning. (laughs) See, you're, you, and, and I'm kind of, I'm, it's totally unsurprising that the Cowboys are leading with 74% and the Texans are in last with 3%. Well, I've just added to the Texans vote, so. The Houston Texans UK account, at the time they had 4%. And they were like, 4% so far, you'll suck. We'll sort out the QB woes and we will kill it. Um, but then we've, we've got to talk about their potentially number one ranked defense. There's loads of stuff to get to. But shall we start off? Because... Last week, we did a good 15-minute, 20-minute section talking about the Charlie line. Almost all of the other teams, apart from the 49ers, in the space of the next 12 or so hours, all appointed their head coaches. So shall we talk through these? We should, and we know the 49ers guys are going to be, don't we? We're, we're, yeah, we're like on the 90% cusp. And there's, there's a hilarious situation with this, and I believe it's probably six of one and half a dozen of the other. But it's really funny when you see a report pop up that says... 49ers set to appoint their number one choice, Kyle Shanahan as head player. You see a report that comes out that says, Josh McDaniels chooses to stay in New England for family reasons and everything else. And you're like, somebody is giving it a bit of bullshit here. It's probably a little bit of both, uh, but somebody is not telling the truth. I, think either- it, I honestly think it's the 49ers because I saw a report that McDaniels, despite what he's saying, was just ridiculously unimpressed by the the 49ers is that is that really surprising i mean <laughs> like it's even if you're getting a guy from your own like josh mcdaniels is coming from the most stable situation the nfl has ever seen why would he walk into somewhere that's had four different head coaches in four years once he's appointed yeah true i, I, mean, I just I, it would have been interesting but, it's, um, it's but of course you were going to side with the Patriot anyway. So uh, yeah, if, on, the predictably, on the predictability rankings, that is uh, right up there as number one. I, I must admit, I would have been... I mean, I'm a bit disappointed that both of them haven't got jobs, him and Shanahan. I think they were the best two on the market this year. It would have been interesting. Uh, and look, we let's, let's, start off with, let's start off with Shanahan, because um, I genuinely delighted with the appointment in fact i don't think we should talk about it too much because we talk about carl shanahan in terms of his scheming we talk about the seahawks game but of the guys who have been appointed he's probably the person who was right up there for me as uh, as my number one choice so i'm absolutely delighted with it i think just... should be as well i mean I'd, i'll say as a patriots fan and this might annoy ollie that I'm, I'm absolutely hoping that the packers win this week because I think that Atlanta offense he's built is is as good as any offense as I've seen. It's um, it's and they're getting better. I think they're getting better at this point of the season, mm-hmm. and, and and he's just so good. I mean, the the, the way he he isolates problems in opposing defenses and just relentlessly picks at them is, it, I mean, that's the job of an offensive coordinator. But so often guys don't do it, and for me, his stock rises every single week, and, and none more so than last week when I just thought that. The game plan, the calls were, were fantastic. 
Well, we'll get on to that game in a little while and we'll talk some more Kyle Shanahan. It's not been confirmed yet. Let's start off with the San Diego, sorry, LA Chargers. It's going to take a little while to do that. I did it with St. Louis for a while as well. They've hired Anthony Lynn as their new head coach. And this was the most intriguing position to me because I think from a talent perspective, only the Broncos are a more talented roster, arguably the Jaguars, but we've not seen them do it consistently. uh, And they don't necessarily have the quarterback they need. But with the move and everything else, it was always going to be intriguing to see who they'd be able to tempt in. I mean, on that point, before we even get to Lynn, I was thinking about this. I really don't buy this idea that they can't be a success in L.A. Everyone has completely poo-pooed the idea that the Chargers going there is a terrible idea. They're never going to be able to be a success because the Rams are already there. Whilst I'm in agreement, I think the L.A. market probably only can handle one team joining it in such quick succession. I believe that even though they don't have an existing foothold in the LA market, if they go there and they stay healthy and Anthony Lynn proves a good hire at head coach and they go to the playoffs in the next couple of seasons, which the Chargers are absolutely set up to do with their last couple of drafts and with what they've got there, then why wouldn't they be more popular than a Rams team who, with Jared Goff this year, looked absolutely dreadful? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what you guys think, but I think they can only support one team, and that'll be whichever team is playing better at that, in that season, won't it? I mean, they're just going to... I think you're going to get sections of that fan base who'll just flick from one to the other, depending on, on who's doing well. I mean, yeah, that, I think the Chargers, talent-wise, was the best of the jobs, to be honest. They include Denver in that. Because of the quarterback situation, you... You've got a guy there who you know you can you can really win with, and, and if anything shows the value of quarterbacks, it's this final four this week. You've probably got four of the best five, six, seven quarterbacks in the league at the moment, even though I think Ben Roethlisberger's not had a good year at all. Um, I, I just think that you, you can succeed there because you've got a quarterback in place. And, and they're really stacked elsewhere on the roster. They've got a lot of pieces to like there, and... And a lot of guys, even the likes of Keenan Allen, who, who is a bordering on a elite receiver when he's healthy. I mean, there's a lot of guys getting forgotten within that as well, who are who are really good players outside of the guys that we, we've mentioned, like Bosa and and Melvin Gordon, and potentially Mel, Melvin Ingram if they bring him back. Yeah, I think it's a really attractive proposition. Joey Bosa is just the kind of guy that uh, the LA market could latch onto. I, I also think some of the fans in LA, some of the the, the, the fans that perhaps didn't have a team or supported other teams could have been severely turned off by the Rams and are thinking, great, we've got a different team to go and watch. Because when I went to watch the Rams versus the Dolphins, it was like, on a, on a much smaller scale, but it was a, it was like one of the London in- International Series games. You see sh- jerseys of all teams there. So I could imagine, I could envisage that kind of thing happening again. I just don't think there's... When I went to LA, there was a lot of Oakland or Raiders, sorry, Raiders fans there, and I'm not sure that there's enough of a fan base or or, or enough of people who don't have a team to actually latch on. And but but maybe that only going to a thirty thousand seater stadium is actually a positive for the next two well, years. Then yeah, I mean that's what I was just going to say. That the kind of they're at least going to give it. a it's going to be interesting to see if, if it fails miserably in the two years. I mean, I'd, I'd love to know what happens next because then you've gone into... The London there. Chargers with their baby blue uniforms. Yeah, I mean, it quite possibly <laughs> could be, but, I mean, the, I, I think the main reason for the negativity is that, I mean, it's just basically people would rather be in San Diego than St. Louis, wouldn't they? Yeah, well, yeah, that's fair. And, and, and I actually believe that... 
I believe the San Diego, uh, what I hope is that the LA Chargers drop the Chargers name and become a, a whole new team and that will leave the, the San Diego market open and at some point I think somebody will move back to San oh, Diego. Yeah, without, without question. Uh, and it would be great if Allah the Browns, they could take up the Chargers name and become the Chargers again. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, talking Anthony Lynn, though, I mean, uh, you, you mentioned Joey Bosa, Philip Rivers, I also look at Jason Verrett, Keenan Allen, Melvin Gordon. There's a lot yeah, of talent yeah, on that side. Yeah, a great example, but it, it's, he has gone from a running backs coach to the head coach of a moving franchise in the space of four months. And even though all these kind of NFL insiders, these people who know him well, these people from uh, who, whose coaching tree he is from within. Um, there's some talk about Gus Bradley going in there as defensive coordinator, which obviously we'd be a fan of just because we like Gus Bradley a lot. But uh, you just feel like that is quite an overwhelming proposition for a young head coach with not a lot of experience. Yeah, it's, it's the, I mean, it's not like the Jeff Fisher thing went well, but a lot of the reasons... He stayed in charge last year. He'd handled the relocation before him with a veteran coach. And you think that it's the job of a veteran coach. But, I mean, personally, I think that they wanted to give Mike Smith the job and he decided to, to stay in Tampa Bay in the end. But all the talk around the charges was that they wanted a guy who had NFL head coaching experience. And, and, and a defensive guy was another thing that was mentioned heavily, and they've literally gone in the opposite direction to that. Part of me thinks that when the, when the kind of... It became clear that the move was happening. Their, their candidates list shrunk. Massively. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and they've gone with basically the best of the rest. And 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 Anthony Lynn, at the end of the day, he can take advantage of that situation now. And I mean, we we don't. Who knows what he'll be as an NFL head coach? I think there's this year more than any other. It's always unpredictable, but I find it really intriguing with a. Sean McVeigh, thirty-year-old guy getting a job in Los Angeles, and, and another Anthony Lynn and Vance Joseph. Can't really remember a year where there were so many guys who've kind of come totally out of left field and got head coaching jobs. So it'll be really interesting to watch those guys next year. And and, and if if they're successful, then it kind of may may create a pathway for. For, for more left field selections and owners maybe looking outside the box a little bit more, which can only be a good thing. We talked McVeigh to LA in the last show because it was looking like a done deal. It's been confirmed since that show. And, and whilst, uh, you know, I have been uh, a, a cheerleader for Sean McVeigh overall, there has always been the question in my head of how much is it working under Gruden, particularly for a 30 year old. And he's not been particularly helped going into such a high pressure market as LA and it's such a high pressure job as having Kevin Demoff say that when he closes his eyes, he hears John Gruden. I mean, talk about building a guy up. He called him, uh, he, he called him uh, exciting, intelligent, mature. You know, they are really putting this guy on a pedestal early. And uh, considering he's got Jared Goff to work with, yeah, they just, I just want to rein it in a little bit. However, what they have done in bringing Wade Phillips in as defensive coordinator is absolutely ideal. Wade Phillips working with that defensive front of talent that they've got there and having the older heads to help guide Sean McVeigh, that feels perfect to me. Yeah, it does. It's really, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I mean, I know you've already written off Jared Goff and, and based on what I've seen, <laughs> I kind of have in the back of my own mind. But, I mean, ultimately, I've seen a lot of guys in their first year look really bad and and, and turn it round and be a lot better. I'd, the problem with Goff is that he just doesn't, and I can't really describe it. It's, it is an eye test thing, isn't it? You see him and think, Christ, this guy is 
just does not look like he belongs in this situation, even remotely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you mentioned, I, I thought Jay Gruden was a vastly overrated offensive coordinator for the Bengals. And I was actually amazed at how well he's done in Washington. And, and kind of, I put a lot of the credit down to to him for the Washington offense. But, I mean, the noises that you hear now is that McVeigh was a much bigger part of that. And that certainly makes sense because... Gruden's offense in Cincinnati and play column wasn't wasn't that great, but but yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, it's another one that I, I don't think any of us can can realistically predict what's going to happen, and 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 I think that makes it exciting. But the one thing I would say is he's he's a fresh faced guy. Um, he's got the look of a of a coach of a of an LA Rams for Los Angeles, and I I think you can sell it to the fan base as an exciting move, which is probably why Kevin. Demoff was um, was so emphatic in his praise of him. Uh, now, uh, just uh, the final one we need to touch on, Sean McDermott going to the Bills. Again, looked like a done deal when we were talking last week. It has now come in. Uh, going defensive again, and you know, often you see uh, with franchises, they will flip each way as they continue on. I'm not including Anthony Lynn, obviously, in terms of the overall head coaching tree. Uh, Twelve months ago, the three of us, Liam, the group of us, were talking about Sean McDermott as a big, big head coaching candidate. Um, and then this season, they kind of fell off a cliff a little bit, that defence. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how Steve Wilkes gets on with the defensive coordinator job in Carolina. Um, I just Buffalo just feels like such a poison chalice to me at this point that whether or not McDermott is the man to turn it around, I just don't even have a clue anymore. I mean, I'd have loved to have seen them go with the best offensive guy and then just say to Tyrod Taylor who to me is a very good quarterback we're building around you now we're going to give you a chance and, and that's not happened and Tyrod Taylor becomes a guy who may be on the market maybe not who knows but yeah it's another it's another one that we can't predict I mean I, I feel like all of them are, it's like that with, with all head coaching appointments but at least like with Kyle Shanahan there's reasons to kind of try and forecast how he'll do and it doesn't always work out that way but yeah it's it's certainly an interesting time to be hiring, hiring Sean McDermott. I think that the, the interesting thing about the Buffalo job does centre around Tyrell Taylor. And as I agree, Matt, I think he's a really good quarterback. But the way they treated him in that last game, regardless of who was there as a coach or GM or whatever, I think that relationship very may very well be broken. And not even a lot of money will be able to tempt him back. And I could see Tyrod Taylor going to one of those quarterback needy teams, maybe someone like the Broncos or something like that, to to then be the number one QB. But the Jets or something like that, I, I, I just don't see Tyrod Taylor staying there. And he's one of their best players. I also think that while Buffalo have got a better situation than the 49ers did 12 months ago in terms of talent, you know, they've not had half their roster retire, uh, they're doing... They're doing the exactly what the 49ers did 12 months ago, which is appointing a head coach without doing an overall change and keeping the GM who is struggling. And even 12 months, they decide they want to get rid of Doug Whaley, which, based on everything I've seen from him, I don't think he's the long-term solution. Well, then, do you need to do an entire rehire again with a head coach as well, like the 49ers have done? And does uh, McDermott just prove to be a one-year stopgap? How do you find a guy who fits with him? You know, it all becomes very messy again. And I do almost feel like if you're trying to do a full reset then do a full reset. Don't, you know, don't go half-hearted at it and try and 
cram guys together who don't know each other, who haven't worked together, or are both coming in at the same time on the same terms, because you establish a hierarchy there which may not be workable, as it wasn't with Trent Bolke and with Chip Kelly. And uh, talking of Chip Kelly, the Jags are going to interview him for their offensive coordinator job. Not the quarterback guru I was hoping for for Blake Bortles, I won't lie. Well, I don't think he should be. Do you think so? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I, the one thing he can do is is is, is create an offense that lets. I mean, even even Kaepernick, I thought looked pretty decent given the given the absolute abject lack of talent around him. Yeah, I agree with and, you, Matt. And, and and I mean, all right, guys, you, you still forget the Nick the Nick Falls element and 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 the fact that Bradford looked really good in the second half of that season under him. I think that the work he's done with quarterbacks in the NFL has been great, and if. If you can get Chip Kelly to literally just have to focus on an offense, I'd, I'd much rather have him than, than some of the retreads, the the guys who kind of just mill around these positions in the bottom bottom to lower half of NFL teams. I'd, I'd, I'd much rather turn it over to Chip Kelly and give him a chance. I mean, I, I, and you saw Kaepernick more than anyone. Well, that was the best. <laughs> you you, Jim Harbour, you are. There massively overestimating how much time I spent watching the 49ers this season. <laughs> Will actually uh, gave up the 49ers <laughs> this season. He's the, he's like, uh, pray for, hashtag pray for Bobby, we're not sure whether Will re, Will will return as a 49ers fan next season. We don't know. It's up in the air. It's, it's just like all of those other head coaching hires. We don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know with Will. Me and Liam were talking about the fact he's a, he's a massive closet Packers fan, isn't he? We, we, we were kind of. I mean, for, you, for you could be right. The, the week in Houston, if uh, if it was a Patriots Packers Super Bowl, and whether it would be good or bad for the house, and um, it was. Oh, I will be the, I will be siding hard with the Packers uh, in that situation. Yeah, there there, there the, will be nothing closet about that situation. I'm I not going to lie to you. Be on, I think, <laughs> um, which is no, just I, how Patriots fans like it. I find the Packers to be one of the most frustrating organisations in football because they have taken, you know, the, you'd argue the last five years of Aaron Rodgers, they should have got more out of him since the last Super Bowl, but they are playing well at the moment and I do love watching them and so I'm unashamed in that. There's, there's and, an argument uh, to be made that he, he probably should have gotten more out of himself as well, though, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, and we can go into that on Friday. So, uh, <laughs> That's right. Look, I faded him out when he, when he says something that I don't like. Perfect. Right, we're talking about the Jags coaching situation, and that's probably a perfect opportunity for us to duck in and catch up with Doug Marone, the new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who, like I say, I went into this call not really having spoken to him before, not really knowing a huge amount about him as a man, and came out the other end a big fan. I hope you do as well. This is uh, a chat last week, uh, thanks to Jaguars UK, with the new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Doug Marone. Well, first of all, congratulations, Coach Marone, on on your appointment. Uh, do you just want to tell us a little bit about the uh, the process of you uh, of you going from interim to the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars? Well, you know, I was I was obviously uh, taken over in a tough situation. Um, uh, you know, Coach Bradley had brought me here, and and you know, really has done a uh, just a really good person, uh, a really good guy, a friend, uh, a leader. So, you know, you come into that thing, come into the situation, it's a tough situation. Players loved him, coaches loved him, and then you become the interim head coach, and, you know, the first thought that went through my mind was, okay, I have to do a great job for these coaches and players uh, in a tough time because everyone knows that they were, um, that we're all part of our record and what we are, and, 
you know, you're just trying to think of that and you go out and you, you try to work the players and get yourself in a position to win a game. Uh, two years ago, you opted out of your contract in Buffalo. And, and whilst I know the Jaguars job is an attractive proposition, I imagine when you made that decision, you didn't necessarily think it'd be two years before you were back running a team. Can you just talk us through your experiences immediately after that decision and what you've learned personally in the two years since before taking this job? Well, I think, you know, when made the, uh, when I made the decision, obviously I didn't have any more options, uh, you know, to become a head coach for the following two years. I, I did, when I made the decision, have some options to go to uh, different organizations. But, you know, I, I planned on coming down here to Jacksonville with Gus and, and turning this, this thing around. And that was the goal in, in my mind. So, you know, obviously we, didn't, we weren't able to get that done, but now I have an opportunity to do it as the head coach, which I appreciate. I think any time in your life, you know, you, you need to learn from, you know, things that have gone on. And I, and I think I have learned a lot of things. Um, you know, there are things that, you know, you look back at my time at Buffalo that, you know, uh, I'll, I don't want to say second guess, but, uh, you know, wonder if you could have done it better. And I'm sure there's certainly things that I could have done a better job of. Uh, and what about working with Tom Coughlin? Great reputation in Jacksonville, two-time Super Bowl winning head coach. What's the balance going to be between you guys? And uh, you must be excited about working with, with uh, such a great name. Uh, well, I'm fired up. I mean, you know, people, uh, you know, Coach Coughlin and I both went to the same university. We both went to Syracuse University. Um, obviously, he's he's a little, a little bit older <laughs> than I am. But... Uh, but um, you know, and so there's there's a little bit of that connection. But then when um, I became uh, the head coach at Syracuse University, I really relied on Coach Coughlin quite a bit uh, with his experience and his knowledge when he was at the New York Giants. So we would meet quite a bit. And then when I was at Buffalo, you know, we had built a, a bond of he was, uh, I would call him a mentor to me. So we've had uh, many, many talks about uh, specifically just about football for probably, um, you know, for, for really six years. So, you know, there's six years of a, of a building uh, friendship. But um, so I think, I think it's the best situation. You know, years ago, I said this, uh, yesterday, you know, years ago, you, you look at um, a team like the University of Michigan and Bo Schembecker was the athletic director and he had two coaches, Gary Moeller and Lloyd Carr, work underneath him. And I think that what a great asset. You know, you can walk down the hall and have someone to talk to and help you and make you a better coach. So for me, I'm excited about it. I don't think any other coach in the league has a has a better situation, um, at least in my opinion. And, you know, I get a chance to work with someone that has won two Super Bowls, who's a future Hall of Fame coach. So for me, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely excited. Well, what's the actual balance between the two of you? We, we've had a report overnight that there was a blocking of the hiring of Donny Henderson to your staff. Who's making final decisions on things like roster, on the staffing between you and, and Coach Coughlin? Well, for us, it's, it's, you know, myself, Coach, and Dave Carwell, the GM. You know, we're all in there together. So we want to make sure that we make decisions together and what's best for your organization. So, you know, this way there's all checks and balances, and uh, we all have one goal in mind, and that's doing the, the, what we need to do to win football games. So we make decisions in, in that type of process. So, you know, it's great because it, it, it gives great information, great insight. Uh, Coach has already helped me, uh, you know, quite a bit. Um, just here and just, you know, asking the right questions and, 
and you know what my thought process is so I'm, I'm pretty excited about that so i would say that it's a collaborative environment where we're working together with one common goal yeah just i was going to ask you about blake bortles um a lot was talked about his mechanics this season he himself admitted that was an issue what are your plans this season to make sure that he's ready to go next year well, it's the same thing. You know, we're just going to go to work. You know, he's our quarterback. Um, no different than any other player. You know, the quarterback, obviously, people may say mechanics, but, you know, with an offensive lineman, it's technique. With a receiver, it's getting off of press coverage. With a corner, it might be his technique and press coverage. So, you know, we all, obviously, when you win three football games, that's, that's, that's not acceptable. So we all have a lot of work to do. Um, I don't want to say it starts with the quarterback. You hear that quite a bit. It starts with everyone. Everyone has to be willing to put the work in, and the work starts now. Hi, Coach. It's Liam Blackburn here. Congratulations on your on your new job. I wanted to ask you about your, your previous time in London with, with the Monarchs, your sort of memories of, of playing back in the early 1990s and, and what it means to be, to be going back to Wembley and, and leading the team next year. Oh, I, 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 I can't tell you how excited I am. I mean, um, I probably, I don't know. I, I might be, I might have played, and I don't know this for a fact, more American uh, football games in Wembley than probably anyone um, else. I first started my first time in Wembley, I believe it was 1987, or excuse me, 1988, and I was with the Miami Dolphins, and we played the San Francisco 49ers in, a, um, in an exhibition game. And that was my first, um, really my first time at Wembley, uh, it was my first time in the UK, so it was it was an outstanding uh, an outstanding uh, you know adventure for me. But after that, it wound up taking me towards um, you know obviously in the in the World League, where I actually got to live there. And coming from uh, New York City, uh, I really fell in love with London. Now my first the first the first year I lived out in Bushy. And um, I'm going to give a little pub out, a little uh, shout out to my favorite pub, the the Red Lion in Bushy, um, <laughs> where I learned where I learned to play. I'll tell you what, we played darts almost every night. I can I'll tell you what, for an American now, I can throw some darts. Um, and then going into, going into London, I mean, it was an outstanding. Uh, I, I love the city, and and even though I'm from New York City, and when you're from New York, you're supposed to say. Uh, what's your favorite city? People say New York City. I, and I mean this. My favorite city is uh, London. I'm going to give another shout-out to my other favorite place, the Lamb and Flag, which is one of my favorite pubs down in the city. So for me, um, I'm excited. I have uh, good friends out there. Um, uh, Ashwin, Dr. Ashwin Patel is uh, the, the head medical doctor at Wembley Stadium. is a very close friend of mine. Um, I want to give him props for... Uh, Getting sneaking me in by ambulance via ambulance to the Freddie Mercury tribute concert, which was probably the greatest concert I've ever been to. Um, so, you know, when you're talking about you know being excited, uh, I can't tell you how much um, you know. I love the people in London. I love my time and experience in London. And uh, I, like I said, I'm from New York City. But when people ask me, I say, look, don't say anything to anyone. But London's my favorite city. Outside of Jacksonville, right? Hey, outside of Jacksonville, right now. Don't 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 say that. <laughs> you guys are gonna be in trouble. <laughs> just just from a, an NFL perspective, I mean, can you can you believe the growth from sort of when you were there in the eighties and nineties to the 
the stage right now where we're getting half a regular season games in London next season. Well, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that I saw that coming because I, 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 you know, I just don't think of it that way. But I will tell you this: when I was with London, um, you know, to see the fan base that we had with the Monarchs, to see the way that the people of London embraced our team, um, I just remember the World Bowl, how excited everybody was. I remember, obviously, the after party that we had, you know, hanging out with the Moody Blues. So, I mean, it was just. Uh, I, it doesn't surprise me. The people uh, in the UK, I think, uh, and I met a bunch of rugby players. Ellery Hanlon was there. Um, you know, Frank Bruno. I mean, I've met a bunch of these people that uh, they're very competitive. Uh, they like they like sport. They like winners. So for me, um, you know, anyone that that's going to watch something that's competitive. I think that, you know, the people of, of, of the UK really, truly understand that. So to see where it's going does not surprise me at all. Is there any further questions? Just one quick one. Um, obviously, right. you, played, you played in the World League. Now. There's obviously been talk of a, of a developmental league and um, possibly coming back in some sort of guise. As someone who went through a similar process as a player, would you, would you welcome that as, as now you're a coach? Well, you know, I, I always appreciated that. Uh, but again, those decisions are out of out of my realm. I've appreciated. I think that there were players, obviously, that have, that have come out of a uh, training type league or a farm type system or whatever it may be. Um, you can look around look around the world, and, and most major sports have that. Obviously, with um, uh, I don't know how to say this. Do I say soccer or do I say British football? <laughs> you can call it football if you want. That's fine. Yeah, I just yeah. You know, you you see that with the clubs. Uh, out in, um, you know, around, you know, obviously in the U.K., you see that type of system. Obviously in America, you see it with uh, Major League Baseball. Um, you know, in the NFL, you have, you know, obviously college football, which is a great a great thing. But, again, anything to better the sport, I'm for. But, again, that, that, that's a decision that's way, way, way over, over, over my head. I know you're obviously very early on in, in the process for the off-season and we, we're not going to see the draft for a few more months yet, but have you sat down with Coach Coughlin, with Dave Caldwell and started to have those conversations about where this team needs to improve? Well, I think I think right now we're in a process of uh, you know uh, getting the best staff we can together for our team. So right now I'm concentrated on that. I think um, you know Dave Caldwell, a GM, has obviously been working on that. Um, and normally with the process, what happens is, is uh, after the season's over, we, we look at ourselves first and write reports on that. And then right now we're trying to get coaches in. And when the coaches come in, they'll look at our team and write reports on them. And then all those things will be discussed in the future. Just to pitch a final question, three-year contract been given to you. Uh, the, the GM's been extended as well, same length of contract to, um, to Tom Coughlin. Have you been given a mission statement for those three years of where the Jacksonville Jaguars need to be? Well, you know, for me, I don't, I, you know, I don't know about the contract. I let you know, other people handle that stuff. But for me, it's, it's, uh, obviously it's, it's a, we're in a high-performance, result-oriented business. You know, and, and, and the business is winning period. I've always believed that, you know, every single day that I come into this office, all right, I am doing everything I possibly can to make sure we win. I don't look at it as from uh, year to year or week to week. I look at my job as more day to day. You know, when you have a position like this, in my mind, when I wake up in the morning, you know, what am I going to do? A, what am I going to do to make uh, myself better so that I can better the organization and be a better head coach? So for me, I look at things as day to day. I don't look at things as 
X amount of years on a contract and, you know, I can just do this or slow. You know, I don't believe, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be the head coach at two places where we were able to turn it around. Um, to me, there's never a, a rebuilding process. I don't talk like that. Um, we're starting to create the foundation and we're moving forward. And, you know, obviously the goal is to win. Thank you very much, Coach. Look forward to playing some darts when you're out here in uh, September. Hey, hey, where are we playing? Where are we, where are we going? What's your favorite place? <laughs> well, let's wait and find out where you the guys are line. staying first. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys ever been to the Lamb and Flag? You know, that's supposed to be the original place where bare-knuckle boxing started. Uh, well, I imagine that we How can about give that it a for a little bit. Yeah, huh? Nice. Good bit of London knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I look forward to this coming out there now. All right. I'll be fired up. Great stuff. Thank you, coach. All right. Take care. Doug Marone, their new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think he's going to have won a few fans with the uh, Gridiron Show faithful with that interview. He certainly won a fan in myself and Liam Blackburn. And uh, we're, we're talking with the Jags about whether or not those guys are going to be coming down to Radio Row at the Super Bowls. Uh, <laughs> are you on the Doug Marone bandwagon? I, I am on the Doug Marone bandwagon hard, my friend. <laughs> Oh, this music I haven't heard in a while. Hey. With Kyle Shanahan back in uh, San Francisco, and if they bring in a good uh, GM and have a good draft, I'll be right back on that bandwagon. Don't you worry. It's just been tough this year. It's just been tough this year. Um, we actually, we yeah, did, I bet you're the only person out of all the, the people who speak or listen to this podcast who's ever had a tough year to deal with for that team as well. Outrageous <laughs> that you even contemplate abandoning ship. I never contemplated abandoning ship. I just didn't watch a lot of the 49ers this year. There was an ex- there was an acceptance that there was going to be even better football to watch on a Sunday night. Yeah, and the, so the, I watched it. There's a bit of the, uh, the pot calling the kettle black uh, from Sherry, <laughs> who, who the Patriots have never had a tough year. It seems oh, like, anyway. I'm sure it'll come, though. When it does, I'll be able to say I told you so when I watch every game minute by minute still. And luckily, you don't support Man United, who barely have had a tough year okay, in the I last 20... Well, Ali, how many, how many tough years have the Green Bay Packers had in your NFL life? Oh, loads. Loads, yeah. No, they haven't. Isn't it... It's ridiculous that between the three people on this podcast, the 49ers fan with his five Super Bowls is the one who has had the hardest time as an NFL supporter. That really says something for the direction we've got in the teams we've supported. I'm not looking for that. I'm more mocking us as a group for none of us. We need a we need a Brown supporter. We need, to, we need to get Liam on, don't we? We need to get Liam on, our resident <laughs> Jets fan. He would make everything better. He would redress the balance in moments. Uh, we didn't actually mention, but we're going to talk more about these teams in the off-season, but the Broncos bringing in Mike McCoy as their offensive coordinator uh, and, uh, and Bill Musgrave as the quarterback's coach and, and uh, Vance Joseph talking about exactly that it's going to be an open quarterback battle going into this off-season. Just quietly doing the right things what a surprise from that organization over the last few years but we'll talk more about them in the offseason let's move on and talk about this weekend's games because we put it off for long enough where do you want to start boys i think there's only one place to start not that (laughs) wait a sec i think (laughs) i think perfect there's only one place to start let's go crackers with the packers (laughs) Yeah, you're, you're probably right. It's hard to say, but you are probably right. The Green Bay Packers coming out 34-31 to 31 winners over the Dallas Cowboys. It looked all said and done by halftime. And 
there was the, 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 the period of plays in the uh, first half where the, it was followed by the unsportsmanlike penalty, which uh, is a, a conversation in itself, um, although I completely agree with, with its application. But straight after that, it was followed by two really bad Dak Prescott, Prescott plays. He, plays. He, um, it was a second and, and uh, 18 odd after that, and he tried to get back all of that yardage from the penalty in one throw and that just showed real rookie mentality and then immediately afterwards had a really bad overthrow and I just thought to myself I don't know if he's going to bounce back is this the moment where we all go look he's had a wonderful season but we just have to say you know maybe this playoff game was a step too far and then he took that team and he put it right on his back and he had three amazing drives in the second half he had five scoring drives in the last six he made this a tight, tight game mm-hmm. with a great performance and, uh, yeah, gave us the playoff game we've all deserved after watching six pretty stinky games over the previous three playoff days. I think you're missing another key element of what allowed the Cowboys to get back in. Oh, of, of course I am, but I was just picking... We, there's so much to talk about, but I was just picking one small thing. I mean, the, there was a pretty bad interception, wasn't there, that let them back in as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's the surprise? Sherry with a Rogers dig. <laughs> Who would have thunk it? Who would have thought? And actually, it's no surprise, Sherry. The um, the Packers' defense was leaky at best. Um, others could say the floodgates were opened. Des Bryant had an absolute field day. Ezekiel Elliott, wow! I mean, every time you watch him, he looks that much better. It's very um, rare that a fan watches their team get gashed as heavily as Ollie did watching Ezekiel Elliott run on his Packers and celebrated it as much as he did because every time he was out of his seat going, wow, wow, your unrelenting positivity, even when it's your team that's being run on for eight yards when it should only be three based on the contact, is uh, is brilliant. I just love football. It, it was a real joy to watch. I love and, football. And, it, was, but, it, was, it was a great game, wasn't it? Oh, what a game, Matt Sherry. Look, what a game. Rogers getting underway much quicker than he has done in previous games. Uh, and, and, and then uh, putting on that masterclass either side of halftime as well. The, Clinic. The, the, the first drive uh, out of the half where they got the ball back and he went six for six, 75 yards and a touchdown and threw a couple of just absolute circus throws was unbelievably good. And the amazing play fake for the Jared Cook touchdown just uh, sent shivers down my spine. The bad pick, it's an interesting one, that one, because I saw, um, I think it was uh, somebody from Sports Illustrated tweeted uh, showing that it's exactly the same play. That yeah, they I thought played. it was. As, as against the Giants. As against the Giants. Yeah. The one that actually, the Devontae Adams catch, which dragged them out of the doldrums when yep. they they had been really struggling on offense and it was the exact same play and Rogers just we all were looking for an excuse at the time we were chatting on Facebook Messenger and we were all going oh it, it's got to be that Adams hasn't cut in on his route it's got to be that it's been tipped it's got to be that something has to have gone wrong there because we all just didn't believe that Aaron Rodgers could throw a pass that bad it just was that bad it was it was almost as bad as the the interception that he, he threw in the fourth quarter that was negated by a penalty, wasn't it? Well, I think you'll find that, uh, that it was actually as bad as the throw was, and it was a bad throw. He was off, I would say, a couple of metres to Devontae Adams' left. But uh, I forget the guy's first name, but Heath came storming out of almost out of nowhere and made an incredible catch on it. So an incredible play on it. So as bad as it was, 
the the defense on that and Heath had had a fantastic game itself mm, he um, really did he, he really did yeah but um <laughs> it was an it was an excellent play from from Heath in in recognizing that that was where it was going to go and he managed to make the play yeah and part of me wonders whether whether that was i mean this is just a complete it, it could be bollocks but um did, did marinelli because i think the coverage was very similar to the giants did marinelli show them that um, no, that's wrong. Uh, no, 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 but no, no. There's, there's, a, there's a theory to this because I'll tell you the other play that was really that um, that stood out for this. And, and again, I saw somebody tweeting the original play is the Micah Hyde interception on the. Um, it wasn't. It was wasn't quite a bubble screen, but on the short yeah. pass to the flat, yeah, they ran that exact play, same play against the Packers in the fourth quarter in Lambeau back in week five. Mike Hyde saw the formation, he saw it line up, he knew what was coming yep. and, and, and made their, and their heads up play. And it was, I think those were two really good examples of great film study. Um, I mean, the, 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 the Rodgers one less so because the fact of the matter is, is that it was a bad throw, but they did have two guys over there. They got the safety over covering to help the corner as well. So maybe the play design was there. You know, there, there was some... These are two teams who who just matched up brilliantly, mm. who schemed for each other really well, and gave us a really really great game of football. It was a massive shame that the um, that the zebras were so terrible throughout the whole game. Uh, so many holding penalties not given. There was the Witten helmet call. So the fact that Mike McCarthy had to himself point out that they'd only moved back five yards instead of fifteen yards and an unsportsman unsportsmanlike penalty. Um, not offering Dallas the free kick at the end of the first half was another one. You know, just loads of little things that all built up to make you go. Tony Corrente is going nowhere near Houston in a few weeks' time. I'll t- tell you one thing though. I, I mean. I'm, I'm being a bit. I'm being very facetious on Rodgers. I thought he was absolutely sensational and the best game I've seen him have this season. A bar and two throws, really. But it's it it sums up the small margins of these really tight playoff games. That genuinely, were it not for them calling for the flag on the on the final drive, no, well the the penultimate drive as it turned out for the Packers on that second interception, we're all talking today about the fact that Aaron Rodgers threw two interceptions and and. Kind of, it ended up costing the Packers the game, and whereas now the whole talk is Aaron Rodgers is playing quarterback better than anybody in the has ever played it, and I, and I think that isn't said as a dig at Rodgers. That is said because it just illustrates how tiny the margins are at this point in the season, and we and, and, we see and it another, time and time again. Another absolutely prime example: the Cowboys spiking the ball when they yeah, had to go for, sell for a field goal. To me, that the- is. And there are, there are coaches like this in their league. There are good coaches who, in big situations, repeatedly do things like that wrong. And, and I mean, you can blame Dak Prescott, maybe, but he is a rookie. You like to think that... that oh, no, well, afterwards, Garrett came out and said that was our play call. Yeah, it's, it's just terrible. And, and it, it was idiotic. I mean, I don't know... If, I can't have been the only person who looked at it with 36 seconds left, I think it was, and two timeouts and said... They've left too much time on the clock. Well, I mean, mate, go and watch the Ollie video. Not only do you get to see him celebrating the Nick Perry deflection on the third and two, which led to the Cowboys settling for the field goal, but as the field goal went through and he went, he's got that, I just went, there's still more than 30 seconds left. You yeah, hear it I mean, on the video. <laughs> and I mean, I, you, you just know that Aaron Rodgers, two times out, 35 seconds, and you've only got to get into field goal range, and Mason Crosby has been absolutely money this year. 
They, of course, they've given them an opportunity. Yeah, and I mean, uh, to me, they, the Sunday night came down to, to, to me, they came down to, to I mean, not that Mike McCarthy's coaching was any better, because the play calls on the, the penultimate drive after the near interception were ridiculous. But um, <laughs> I, I, you just think that it came down to, I mean, we'll get into Andy Reid later on, but what he was doing for the majority of that second half, I have absolutely no idea. But, but I mean, Jason Garrett, and he's got a history of doing that. And I almost feel like these coaches just need somebody to manage end-of-game situations and game management. They need to just say, look, you are the game management coach. Because it's just, it, it, in this instance, it could potentially have cost the Cowboys a Super Bowl. I mean, that might sound like hyperbole, but it, it, it really could have. I think that also, when you're breaking it down to fine margins, the uh, play before uh, Rodgers rolls out right on third and 20, where the, the play where he gets sacked. The, the Jared Cook ridiculous toe tapper. Which was incredible. And then you get the ass tap uh, from one of the zebras on the other zebra, which is very funny. But <laughs> that, that is genuinely well <laughs> worth going back and rewatching the Jared Cook catch again, just because. The first zebra comes in, doesn't give it. The second one comes in and gives it as a catch. And Wanda gives him a slap on the arse and goes, well done, mate. It's very was, funny. That, 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 that whole play was best and worst of the zebras summed up in that whole <laughs> game. Because there was, I've said, I said it before we started, there's, there's, you'll see the picture online. I mean, a, a defensive lineman for the, for the uh, Cowboys was literally clotheslined backwards um, in the lead up to Rogers throwing the pass. Although I'm not quite sure whether the guy would have caught him up anyway, but... It's just, if anything, summed up the good and bad of NFL officiating. It was, it was that whole situation on that play. You were saying about I the don't play know where before, information comes from. Yeah, <laughs> um, but the play before that, the the actual sack from Jeff Heath uh, from the Cowboys, who's completely uncovered, blindside sack. Oh, Every other time, that's a, that's a strip sack fumble. Yeah. Um, and Rogers and people say, oh, it's great awareness from Rogers to hold on to. He didn't see that coming. What Rogers has got is big hands, and big hands. he knows that that ball has to stay with him. And the fact that he held on to that, despite taking a hammering there, was just unbelievable. Follow that up with the incredible catch. Follow that up with the iced kick, which goes through. Follow that up with the next kick. Which it was just like it was hooked left. And well, it looks it, it, it starts it starts off true, then it fades left, and then it comes back. It was a bit like a Roberto Carlos Le Tournoir, uh free <laughs> kick. It was incredible, and the whole that whole series, the celebrations, uh, as a Packers fan, it was unbelievable. But what you've what I've got at work today is people saying who don't like football, that was amazing. That is playoff football. I love football. Let's uh, let's talk about then the the point of this podcast. Even though it's taken us forty five minutes to get to it, is to talk about the four teams who've been eliminated in the divisional round and who's best set up to win it all next year. And the Cowboys are the obvious choice. And seventy four percent of our poll have gone with the Cowboys. Just to give you some of the responses, uh, somebody said, the, "If the answer isn't the team with two Rookie of the Year candidates, then you're asking the question wrong." Uh, Josh said, "If the Cowboys can add a couple of defensive pieces, they'll be hard to beat." Chiefs to close second. Dak a year older will be in a position A to carry the Cowboys. And what if they turn Romo into a premium draft pick? Has to be the Cowboys, says Mark Gray. Unfortunately, I went for the Cowboys, says K13. Seattle has a lot to do to get that O-line sorted. Plus, could probably do with a safety uh, for depth. There's a lot more Cowboys love going on there. And, okay, there are definitely needs on that team. But 
the interesting thing there is the guy who said about moving Romo on because whatever happens with Romo here, whether they get a premium pick for him or not, and there's a lot of talk of him maybe going to Houston of all teams, and we'll talk about them in a little while as well. But if even if they only turn Romo into a third-round pick, getting him off their wage bill is going to open up a huge amount of salary cap space. And we've seen what the Giants have done with a couple of clever free agent signings. And look, the Cowboys absolutely could. You know, we could see sophomore slumps from both of their Rookie of the Year candidates. I don't expect it based on how well they've played this year, but it could happen. That O-line had a brilliant year, followed by a down year last year, followed being back to brilliant this year. Maybe that happens again next year. You know, there are facts in the NFL all the time that things surprise you. But if there is any team set up at this stage of the season to go on a Super Bowl run next year with the picks they've got, with the cap space they're going to have if they get rid of their superstar quarterback, it's got to be the Dallas Cowboys. It does. It'll be interesting to see what the Romo deal brings as well, because we're seeing more and more conditional picks. And and if the only question with Romo really is health, isn't it? So if they could package a deal where if he plays eight games, it's a third. If he plays 16, it's a second. And if he plays right through the season, including the playoffs, it's a first. I think a team who are close would be crazy not to do that. So I think the compensation they could get for Romo could be huge as well. And in terms of, there are very clear needs. Pass rushes is, is the key. I think uh, a middle linebacker uh, would be good as well. Sean Lee was brilliant again yesterday, but you know he is getting up there in years. He plays a huge number of snaps. He leads on tackles every season. You know how long can you get that kind of production out? I just feel like when you're drafting, you just get the best defensive player available when it when it comes up because. Morris Claiborne could go in free agency and, and obviously had injury problems towards the end of the year. And, and they did have some struggle when they went up against better quality. I think they were better than we maybe expected this year. And Rod Marinelli did a really good job. But they certainly could strengthen across almost every level of the defense. But if you do get one or two impact defensive players in the draft or in free agency and add it to everything else you've got there, you're in the money. Yeah, what would be perfect for them is um <laughs> sorry what would be perfect for them is Joey Bosa <laughs> but that's not <laughs> we're a year too late on that you're 100% right they need that that pass rusher because i think there are a lot of things that are good about that cowboys defense which played up played up to the, nowhere not not the level of their offense because their offense was incredible but it certainly was complementary far more complementary than it has been in previous years orlando scandrick as I said, Jeff Heath, who he's one of those players that not many people knew about before the, the playoffs started, and now they do, like a Boye, for instance. So I think there are players there that are going to get better, but just tweaking and, and uh, retaining some of those when it comes to free agency. And I think the Cowboys, you're right, two or three uh, pieces away from being a really good side. Oh, they're already a really good side, but uh, cementing NFC East sort of domination. But that's going to be really difficult when you've got the Giants and uh, Washington in there as well. And the Eagles as well. Yeah. I think Carson Wentz is going to get that. One guy who I think has a chance to actually be who's already good, it, I think Byron Jones could become one of the best defensive players in the NFL. Yeah, I think he, he's he's been there their best offensive draft pick over the last three or four years. He's really good, isn't he? He, he, yeah. he, he has the, the athleticism to, to be kind of the, the range to be a guy who could be a really special safety, I think, in the NFL. So I think and amazingly, he, he, I was just going to say, amazingly, he looked like the Jerry Jones kind of 
a classic uh, luxury pick where he's gone out and taken the workout warrior because he got the, the the highest ever standing jump in the combine and and people you know weren't had, didn't have a lot of buzz for him beforehand and he came out and right from his rookie season had an impact yeah and, and he's, he's still one of the only guys i've ever seen cover rob gronkowski one-on-one and do an effective job which which tells you just about the athleticism that he has because that's a really borderline impossible matchup for any team. I reckon I could do it. I, I know, um, I know... <laughs> just brush that off, Ollie. Fine, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I know, Matt, you mentioned about what the Cowboys could get for Tony Romo. Is there any way that he would be used as a make-weight uh, for moving up in the actual draft itself on draft day? Yeah, potentially. I mean, the other thing that people forget is play-for-play play play trade. I mean, the Jets need a quarterback. The Cowboys tried to sign Sheldon Richardson in the um, just before the trade deadline. He is going to be out in New York, I think. I don't think they like him in the locker room. Jerry, Jerry Jones is the kind of guy who, throughout his career with Charles Haley and guys like that, he will take those characteristics. So I wouldn't also rule out the possibility of a a rare player for player trade. I mean, that would be that would be a trade that fits both teams. If- oh, I, don't, I, I hate that trade for the Jets, just because I think Romo, people are suddenly buzzing about Romo because we've not really seen him this year, but they forget that he has had three or four injuries to the same areas in his body in quite quick succession. And I do believe that if, if you're taking him, you're taking him on a kind of one, two-year basis maximum and do the Jets really think that they're going to you know that they could be Super Bowl bound with a good quarterback the other thing as well is that obviously it's a business but Jerry Jones is ridiculously close to Tony Romo and I think if they trade him I honestly think Romo will have input into where they trade him I I, I think that they'll give him that Jerry Jones loves him and I think the Jets wouldn't be a situation but I'm just kind of pointing out examples of player for player trades that could happen but I think if they do trade him I think Jerry Jones will let Tony Robo to an extent dictate where he goes provided that the compensation is similar and I think he probably feels like he owes him that and hey look we're going to talk about the Texans in a little while but just I'm I'm going to throw this out there now, and we'll come back to it. This idea that he won't let him go to the Texans if the Texans offer the most compensation to the Cowboys, I think, is nonsense. Yeah, uh, nonsense. They're, they're an AFC team, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. He's going to want them in the AFC. I'm not going to want to trade them to an NFC team. So the Texans are one of three or four obvious candidates. Yeah, right. Pl- which... Player for player with Brock. Brock can be Dak's backup. <laughs> <laughs> and that contract no thank you uh, right what, do we want to move on and do Sunday night do we want to move on and talk about one of the Saturday games there's so many keeping the NFC there's so many options available to us let's stay in the NFC let's stay in the NFC and talk about the Falcons and the Seahawks and the soon to be anointed 49ers head coach absolutely coaching the socks off Pete Carroll nothing Fine. Uh, <laughs> no, it was to, to be honest. It was one of those. It was. Uh, it was just. It really interesting to say. I always loved that apprentice mentor thing. I always remember when McDaniel's in his rare positive moments in Denver beat uh, beat Belichick, and it's just always an interesting matchup because the the, the know the, they know each other so well, and I, I think they're as intriguing as any matchups that you find in the NFL. And um, and I just think this was the, the story of, of one team who had one way and, and another who are heading in the opposite direction. And sadly, unless they get their offensive line sorted out, Seattle are really heading in the opposite direction. 
we'll, we'll, t- we'll talk about Seattle in a moment, but let's just talk about what the Falcons did in this game. I, I, I wasn't joking there. Carl Shanahan did absolutely scheme the socks off Seattle. And yes, you had a, a playmaker of, in Julio Jones who, who could put Sherman and Co. in clown suits, but they did. They attacked the middle of the field deep and, and at the intermediate level constantly, that area that Earl Thomas would be roaming. They kept forcing the Seahawks to go into man-to-man because they attacked the zone coverage and they're just not that strong in man when you're going up against the likes of Julio Jones. They went after the linebackers in coverage constantly and then they went to the outside with Freeman and Coleman, those two complementary backs who uh, are so impressive and, and and then on top of all that you had Matt Ryan if you want to see a reason Matt Ryan should be in the MVP, should be the MVP not even in the conversation, watch this game from Saturday night because he moved the pocket. He kept his eyes downfield. He just constantly, like we said going into this one, what they need is for Bennett and uh, Wagner and all of those guys to get real pressure on Matt Ryan. And I believe they did. I think they pressured the quarterback plenty. He just escaped. He made good decisions. And uh, it was a really, really impressive performance in all facets from the Falcons offense. And uh, oh, we're all rather excited for Sunday night, I hope. Oh, hugely excited. Um, the, the way... The pack, uh, the Falcons managed to get those those mismatches on the outside, as you were saying. And but what also was incredible for Matt Ryan was how much control he had on not only the, as you said, the pocket, but who he was throwing to and the trust that he placed on the nine receivers that he used. And I think it, it's something like. Uh, They've got the most. They've Matt Ryan's completed the most amount of touchdown passes to different receivers in the whole of the NFL, which is unbelievable when you think about it. Especially since uh, Julio Jones has been out, um, a player that I really love, and I know we'll talk about this a little bit more. But it's uh, it's uh, is it Taylor Gabriel who I think is rather Tyreek Hill esque and. It can really, really burn defenses with his pace, and that allows space to open up for Sanu, for Jones, for the tight ends. They're uh, the prob- and and as uh, Matt Sherry said, the most balanced and exciting offense left in in the league. They've, they've also got the best running back tandem in the league. Yeah, staggering, mm-hmm. staggering the, the, what they have. I mean, you mentioned Julio Jones. They threw to him early. And then he was out of the game for large periods because he, he's got turf to, hasn't he, which he, he struggles with chronically, and I think he, it flared up. So, I mean, the offense isn't skipping a beat without probably the the first or second best wide receiver in the NFL on the field, and, and that is staggering. And and, and and a lot of it is scheme, and we, we've given Kyle Janhard a lot of credit already on this show, but they have a lot of talent as well. I mean, that running back tandem is, is, is really, really tough, and I mean... You get guys like that who are good in the passing game, good in the run game. The offensive line is a lot better, and Alex Mack's obviously been one of the pickups of the off season. They're just a really tough out for any team. I can't imagine there's a single defensive coordinator in the league who would look at them and think, "Oh, we fancy our chances today." No, not what, at all. What, what is interesting with those running backs as well is that it's not the classic tandem of you've got. A, a bruiser and an outside guy, a pass catcher and an up the gut guy. Both guys are so good in the passing yeah, game. Both, both guys can block as well. Both of them can run up the middle. Like you'd happily have either of them as your number one running back at a, in a in a decent offense. And to have them as a one-two, uh, it's just all very exciting. Um, 
but we're going to talk more and more about the Falcons. We'll get onto their defense and everything else when we talk about them later in the week. Let's talk Seahawks. Now, Seahawks, uh, interestingly, I, I thought that they would be the second most popular, and they've just about shaded it. At this point, they're at 13% on this one. And funnily enough, the tweets we're getting about them focus on that offensive line. Mark Wright, if injury-free, attention to the O-line, I believe they'll be there again. Um, and I think what's funny, I, I, even though we've given a Feddy some, some shade at times this year, I do think they're much better on the inside of that offensive line. And they showed it with running the ball last week. But the tackle play has been absolutely embarrassing. And, and it kind of proves they, they bring a guy in in the third round who can't even get off the bench and instead play a, a, a converted basketball player in George Fant, who is being played in his rookie season, despite the fact he's barely paid any O-line before. And all right, maybe they can develop these guys, but... I think they need to finally be looking to spend high on that offensive line rather than constantly looking to bring in lower-end guys and saying, it'll fit, Wilson will do it, we'll be fine. They need to invest something there because at the moment it's not working. Yeah, I mean, to me, the Wilson will do it thing, it worked. I mean, even to an extent, last year it worked. Second half of the season, they were brilliant. They nearly came back in that game against the Panthers, the playoff game that they lost. So up until this season, you could kind of say, well... We don't like it, and we, we think it massively holds them back, but we can see why they do it. It allows them to keep that defence intact. But I think what we're seeing now is, is attrition on the defence in that, one, they, they can't keep everybody healthy all year like they have done impressively over the last few years. And they, There are going to be years when they lose one of their best defensive players, and that's happened with Earl Thomas. And, and then, I mean, ultimately, you can't keep asking Russell Wilson to perform three Houdini acts a game to win you a game, it's just madness and and, and I mean to me they're at the point now where they're going to derail Wilson the quarterback because he, he's just not getting the, he can't stand in the pocket for even three, four seconds without without being harassed and, and, and on the rare occasions it does happen, he's naturally got itchy feet because who wouldn't when they stand behind, I mean Fant is effectively me with athleticism, you know, he, he's never <laughs> played before. It's, it's insane. Like, he's the kind of guy who you get, you pick up, you put him in the practice squad for the first season, you maybe put him as a swing tackle on the on the active roster in the second season, and maybe you, you start looking to start him in the third season if he develops. You don't throw him in in the first season. It's, it's, it's criminal borderline what they've done on that offensive line, and, and you've got to think that they're going to address it properly in the off-season, because... They can't, they've still got the, the great talent on defence. Get Even if they could get two really good offensive linemen to try and solidify the unit, that you can look at offensive lines across the league. They have weaknesses. They all have weaknesses. But if you can just stabilise it with a couple of key pieces, then it's a starting point at least. Because, I mean, you say it's slightly better inside. I mean, it, it's... It's not a huge compliment, is it? It's still terrible. So. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not been good, but it's been slightly better. And the fact, and Bradley Soles an impending free agency, not that he's been great, but it does mean they're losing somebody there. And Gary Gilliam, who 13 starts this year, restricted free agent this season. So unless they want to offer him a contract, he could go next season quite easily. Um, the, the other one that is interesting, and this is more interesting specifically with the injury on Saturday night but Deshaun's shed has been excellent this year and uh, like really impressive considering I thought the Legion of Boom were, were due a bit of a drop-off um Jeremy Lane I think is fitting really well as like a nickel slot corner uh, as a three they've worked really well but he tore his ACL on and uh you know you can't 
keep just relying on bringing in like 35 year old uh, free agents to fill in for a couple of games like they have done in the past. So potentially a, a, a corner to play opposite Richard Sherman could be interesting as well. But I, I just think you can't go through that draft and not pick three, four offensive linemen and see. I think it's draft. I think, that, I think they need to good actively be trading for guys signing the best free agents available. I mean, it's they, they need two veteran guys, and then and then maybe you you also look at spending a first and second round pick and trying to plug in four four new stars. It's it's absolute madness how bad it is. I've never really. I, I, the, I think they're the worst position group in the league. You know, if, if you if you picked every team in the league and individual position groups, I think they're the worst unit in the entire NFL. I'm just trying to fi- figure out who they could afford, who's available. Because there's some decent tackles coming up: Terran Armstead, Ryan Schrader, Cordy Glenn, all available as free agents this off season. David DeCastro, who are uh, also known as Chris Collinsworth's boyfriend, uh, after Sunday night. You know, uh, all options available in free agency this year if their teams don't plus, sign them but usual, they're all big money and, and 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 joe thomas i mean there's a lot of guys potentially available and what well, what's their cap situation either way i think they need to look at trading some some big defensive players if they need to because they need to just balance it out a little bit yeah i think we're all in agreement there's quite a few people who think that the seahawks are still set up to do well for years to come but it, it, for me, this feels like a turning point right now. I think it, they need it, it to address it. It should be a turning point. Well, it should be because they're not getting anything going on on the ground. Thomas Rules, we saw, I think in one of the games, he had a 150 yard plus on the ground, albeit probably against a terrible defense. But it shows that he can rush. He, he, Thomas Rules is a brilliant running back. Exactly. We saw that at the end of last season as well when uh, Marshall Lynch, Lynch went yeah. down. And it was, oh, will when Lynch comes back, will he oust Thomas Rawls or not? In the end, he, he didn't. And if you can't get him going, then you can't get Russell Wilson going. You can't get the stuff going on, on receiving. And it all boils down and it all comes back. Sorry to listeners, we're, we're like a broken record, but it all comes back down to that offensive line. And you're right, the fact it hasn't been fixed is criminal. And if it doesn't get fixed... That's even worse. Yeah. They have quite a bit of cap space going into this year, by the looks of it. $35 million is it currently Yeah, well, that's more than enough. And, I mean, the, the, even Jimmy Graham could go. I mean, that, that hasn't really worked out. But maybe it hasn't worked out because Wilson doesn't have any time to throw the ball. But there, there, are, there are other guys that could, they could move to, to create more room as well. I mean... And, actually, I think the emergence of Paul Richardson as an option. Tyler Lockett's a better receiver, but oh, Tyler, once, once, Tyler Lockett's, once Tyler Lockett's back as well, Doug Baldwin has been cusp of a top-ten receiver this season. So they've got options in that passing game. Jimmy Graham going is quite a good shout, really. What about I, mean, I, I, I hate it when you're Luke watching. Wilson and those a decent tight end, so they, they, would keep, they would probably keep Graham, I would think. Um, but... I mean, it's an option, isn't it? I think they need to put everything on the table and, and determine that, that that is the one area that needs fixing. What about losing one of those linebackers? Yeah. I'm, like I mean, a Chancellor or, you know, Bennett or someone like they, Wagner. They you just named a defensive end and a safety. Sorry, sorry. To lose. But <laughs> losing, someone, losing someone from that boom, the, the whole squadron... I, I hate to use that, but losing someone from there and then just plug and playing uh, a, f- a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick. Yeah, I agree, but I mean, I, I couldn't. I don't think they can. I think they keep Sherman 
and the Keith Chancellor, the Keith Thomas, they're the, the heartbeat, and Michael Bennett is to be one of the best. I was going to say, Cliff, Cliff Averill's an interesting shout. He's hit 30. Averill's Michael Bennett, g- I think, is more important. Yeah, Averill's a guy who could have value. One of, I mean, I wouldn't get rid of Wagner. I think he's super. No. KJ Wright's a really good linebacker. They could get something for him. Um, if I don't think he's a free agent this year. He might be, but I don't think he is. So, I mean, you've got to just look at it and think it's a luxury to have that many great players on a defence. So, and, and the draft always allows you to bring in guys who are cheap. They've done a great job scouting that side of the ball. I'm sure they'll be able to find other guys to, to fill in who might be a drop-off, but in a, in a unit where you can afford a slight drop-off. Right, let's let's move on because we are. <laughs> I feel like I say this about this time on every pod, going incredibly long. Uh, to the AFC, let's do Steelers Chiefs next. Steelers uh, winning despite scoring two touchdowns less than their opposition. Uh, this is I have I stupidly went with head over heart with the Packers Cowboys game, even though on our Super Bowl challenge, which you can join us on the Super Bowl challenge on the NFL UK website, I did pick the Packers. On there, I'm seven for eight, but I took the Chiefs and I was really confident about the Chiefs because of everything I've seen from them this season seemed to suggest they were going to match up well on the Steelers and their offense just one great drive, then completely flatlined. And uh, unfortunately, that cost them the game because when you go up against a team and you restrict a team that's got Le'Veon Bell, that's got Antonio Brown, that's got Big Ben, you restrict them to six field goals, you should be beating them at home in a playoff game. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'd, I really like Andy Reid. I think he's one of the best coaches in the NFL, but they just got it so terribly wrong, didn't they? I mean, the, 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 that seven-minute drive, I feel like we've we've had this conversation now. Every season. Every season. <laughs> last the three years. The Patriots last year. The same when he was the coach of the Eagles in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, the most ridiculous drive in NFL history. I mean, it's just ludicrous and... There was a spell last night where they converted fourth down and then they're dicking around throwing a couple of passes behind the line of scrimmage. And I know that that's their (laughs) offence, but ultimately it hadn't worked all night. And every time Smith, who actually threw some really nice passes that were dropped in this game, threw the ball downfield, the wide receivers were wide open. You've got Jeremy Macklin, Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, three very, very good weapons throw the ball down the field in that situation. It might not be what you do, but it's what you need to do in that situation. They just gifted the Steelers the game. I mean, the Steelers were terrible in, in and, large part. Andy, ben, uh, Andy Benoit, who I know you're a fan of, or Benoit, as he calls it, but it's Chris Benoit, so it's Benoit to me and always will be. Uh, Andy Benoit uh, made a really interesting point online, which was about the Alex Smith and the game film, and because and there were two really... Oh, obvious open receiver opportunities in that game that the TV when I watched it back today they showed replays of the open receiver time and time and time again but what they never once showed was the coach's film style shot from behind the quarterback so you can see the whole play develop yeah because it depends uh, what rate it is doesn't it yeah I exactly mean- and, and the point is is that if the scheme is set up to force you to out to the right hand side with your reads well you know, unfortunately, a quarterback isn't an owl. They can't see 360 degrees. If they've been forced to one specific side of the field by what they've seen from the defense, and then a guy happens to open on the other side because the defense have known, because they've done something well designed, then you can't put that all on the quarterback. And he was just merely pointing out that it might be that Alex Smith left those, left those throws on the field. 
but let's wait until we've seen the full film to decide and judge him. But overall, it was one of those games that was exciting because it was tight and had a good ending, but it had two teams not playing up to their potential. And, and honestly, if it wasn't for Le'Veon Bell, whose workload at this point, 30 carries, 170 yards, and you can say all the things we've said about him, how smooth he is, how patient he is, yada, 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 yada. He was brilliant, but if you've not got him still able to carry that 30-carry workload at this point in the season, I'm not sure Big Ben is playing well enough. He's, he's, he's not played well at all. Like, there was one. There was one really great play. The the Brown Antonio Brown fifty four yard of the really early one where everyone yeah, was going when, when, the, when he beat the blitz what's, and Antonio Brown was covered by Houston. Yeah, what's it, everyone's going? What is Justin Houston doing yeah. in coverage? But it was because they blitzed yeah. and he. That was a brilliant example of what Big Big Ben does at his best. And I thought, oh, we could be on for something here. And then he just didn't repeat it for the rest of the game. Yeah, I just thought, other than Le'Veon Bell, I don't think there's a single player who comes out of the, credit, the game with much credit. Because hey, You I'm, obviously weren't listening to Collinsworth and uh, talking about De Castro yeah, because De Castro, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, he had a phenomenal I mean, game. I'm talking only of kind of the, the key players. I mean, I, I think it, it did illustrate, I mean, one of the guys earlier you said that, had said that Kansas City were the next one who, just behind the Cowboys, is potential Super Bowl team, but just fling them to the bottom of the list. They're not going to win a Super Bowl, are they? It's just not going to happen. They're just one of those teams who will hover around the playoffs every year. They'll probably win a bunch of regular season games. And and sadly, the, the, another head coach who needs to employ just a, a game management coach more than anyone. I mean, how? and this is on Smith as well, but how at home, I can understand it on the road if it was the Steelers, do you get to the fourth quarter having blown two timeouts? It's just, yeah. it's dreadful. It's you, uh, they, they, are in, they are in third on our poll, but it's a tight third with the Seahawks and then the Texans are adrift on I mean, the, 4%. The, te- the Texans have a much better opportunity, but obviously based on the idea of them getting a quarterback. But the, the, the other problem with Kansas City is their defense. And I, and I said, this, said this about four weeks ago on the podcast. The defense wasn't that good a defense. And you can't rely on a turnover-heavy defence in the playoffs. I know they've got one turnover in this game. But it just never tra- it never seems to translate. You don't get four turnovers against good teams in the playoffs very often. So the, the, their run defence was always kind of ripe for the picking with a, with a back like Bell, I think. Just to, just to, sorry, no, go on, Ollie. No, I just wanted to, to highlight three plays of this game from the Kansas City, actually, the offence. And three plays that encapsulated probably the entire game for them and you've got the Travis Kelsey um, ridiculous penalty that he gave up, he, I think he he wasn't called for an offensive PI uh, for a defensive PI, PI a couple of plays earlier down the field where he, he dropped the ball, he lost his, his nerve, he lost his call and then just was goaded into shoving down one of the, the Pittsburgh Steelers cornerbacks on the next or the the next but one play. So that was ridiculous. That was a 15-yarder. Then Shakandrick West, in open field, just drops the ball. Mm-hmm. Fumble, he just lets go it was, of it. It was a fumble with nobody within five yards. There's no one near him, and he just sort of... He's running, and he... It's, it, it's, it's that kind of play where 
they're not even thinking. He, he's not th- it's just the loss of concentration and not thinking about the, the task at hand. And you can you can translate that into the seven minute drive in in the fourth quarter where they just lose. They're, they're not thinking about the game at all and all the all the, what's going on. And then it's the the entire thing. We're on the, they've just scored a touchdown. They're going for the two point conversion. Eric Fisher holding on. The, the conversion's negated. They don't get it from 12 yards. And you just knew from that moment that the Kansas City Chiefs weren't going to win this game. You could say it's cold. It's cold for both teams. The Chiefs, and, and I agree with you, Sherry, they'll do well, but they need to get rid of those sort of mistakes across the board. Guys, we are we are th- we are closely approaching an hour and a half with the interview as well. So I, I do want to move on and speak James about our Harrison last game, Patriots and Texans. I'd like to say that. Say again. James Harrison deserves credit. Oh man, yeah, hundred yeah, yeah. percent. And we're going to give some love to the Steelers. We will talk about them when we talk about their game with the Patriots coming up later this week. Um, the only thing I will say about the Chiefs, first of all, the AFC West, how good that division was this year, and none of them won a playoff game. Just shocking. Um, there's two players, two big names that they have going on free agency. Eric Berry, obviously, because he's been on the franchise tag this year, uh, and then Dontari Poe. And actually, when you were talking about the defense this year, they were poor against the run. When you consider what they're paying the likes of Justin Houston, I think they should consider letting Poe go and spending their money elsewhere because it, he is going to cost big time to keep there. And they're gonna, they should keep Berry, throw money at him, and then build from elsewhere that's my belief but let's talk patriots texans and sherry I-, I am interested to get your take on this immediately because i think there are two ways to look at this game you can either lay on the cheese and say that good teams find a way to win when they're bad or you can say oh look the pats got an absolute cupcake for what was probably their worst performance of the season oh, they were absolutely dreadful <laughs> I mean, if they were against any other quarterback in the NFL, I think it might have been a, a game. Genuinely, they were terrible in, in all in all facets. I mean, other than the defense, I think they probably would have shut them out without the turnovers. Cause, but I mean, that's not. I think we could all put a defense together that would shut Brock Osweiler out at the moment. Um, yeah, that, that and, and, and uh, what was really frustrating. We're going to talk about Brock, but Brock Osweiler had one throw in this game which looked like the sort of throw that only the top four or five quarterbacks in this league make. And he just dropped it on a dime through coverage into the tiniest window in the end zone and Will Fuller dropped it. And I just thought, you know what, that is... (laughs) He makes one great play in a game when it's tight and you still cock it up. Yeah, it was... Yeah, it it summed it up, didn't it? I mean, the Texans' defence played great. I mean, the, the, the... they're the only defence I've seen give the Patriots offensive line any troubles in recent times. And they've played some good fronts, not good teams, but some good fronts. So so I thought Romeo Cronell deserves a lot of credit for that. But it, um, other than that, I just didn't think the Patriots were very good at all. And, and, I, and, I mean, and the thing is, I, I still think, you know, the Texans, you mentioned their defence, excellent, particularly in the first half. I think a few plays swung it towards the more flattering scoreline. I mentioned the drop there. Um, but the fact is, you know, you relied on, you, and you called it in the last podcast, give you credit where credit's due, Matt Sherry. You said Dion Lewis, you felt like it had been almost like they'd been holding him back and, and waiting to unleash him. He had an incredible day He's personally. But I, I think the reason I, I like the Patriots going into the Steelers game, looking ahead very slightly, um, is because even though it was a bad game, 
they do look more balanced on offense. The biggest plays of the day, that Chris Hogan 45-yarder, the Julian Edelman 48-yarder, both came from third and long situations. And New England in recent times, we've talked about it a lot, are not a team who take a lot of shots downfield. But they've they've totally reinvented themselves this season. Like, I I was obviously at the Denver game last year, and other than the offensive line, the one thing I took away from it is the fact that the the need to find a way to get chunky yards down the field. And -hmm. and they've done it this year almost at the detriment of the short passing game at times. But in reality, it's created a balance. And the other thing I would say for the Patriots, and, and kind of as a wider perspective, is I think they're the only one of the four teams left who... I mean, we don't know, but they have a chance to have a, an outstanding defence based on the numbers, and I don't necessarily believe that they're that good on defence, but the numbers tell you that they are, and and I think that that could make a difference. They've played really well now on defence for kind of seven, eight weeks. So. Yeah, but who have they faced? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's, that's my point exactly, Ollie. I'm, I'm not sure, but I would say that we know that the other three teams don't have good defences. The periods for me, the jury's still out. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Um, and when it, they've been lucky, you say lucky, but they've been they've they've had it their way that they haven't faced a, a decent quarterback. And as it happens, Big Ben Roethlisberger is not playing well at all. And perhaps this is the week where he turns it on. But yeah, I, the the they do have the makings of a good defense. I totally agree with you. Just. Let's see when they go up against Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and and hopefully for a neutral perspective and everyone that dislikes the Patriots, that Big Ben can turn it on. (laughs) I I, I think, look, look, I think it's going to be... I do do really think we're going to see two great games next weekend, but we'll talk about that game later in the week. Let's talk about the Texans, and there's only one thing to talk about, really, because, let's be honest... Bring J.J. Watt back. Bring Kevin Johnson back as well. And if they manage to bring Kevin Johnson back and they re-sign A.J. Bouet as well, that should be the number one defense in the AFC based on the talent they've got, based on how well they played this year without those two key players. What do you do about that offense and specifically that quarterback? Sign a new one. Yeah, I, you, I mean, I mean, I'd take anything. I think so have- much dead cap space. Do you just cut ties and get rid do you you keep him there and hope he develops do you is it it at the point where it would cost them more money to cut him I need to I'd need to look at what was it 16 million base salary guaranteed next season dead the dead money on any move would be 25 million dollars yeah I mean Maybe you do that. You've, I mean, you've, you, you've got to let him go, haven't you? I mean, you, you've got to think that Tom Savage is a better backup for that offence. But, I mean, I actually forgot about Kevin Johnson. I mean, that guy looked like a really good slot cornerback, didn't he, last season? He, he looked really, really talented. Like, yeah, I mean... Well, I you think you add him. I think you add him to that well. secondary, and then you add JJ Watt to the front seven, and it's terrifying. It, it's actually as good a defence on paper as I think I, I can remember seeing. I include the... The Seattle and Denver defense, just because that defensive line is just ridiculous. I mean, talking three of the best ten defensive linemen in the league, maybe that's just mm-hmm. insane, isn't it? Um, and the, the they, won't, they won't have Big Vince next season, though. Yeah, he's, he's finished, <laughs> isn't he? Sadly, but um, I mean, we, we've talked about Romo, but I mean, Tyrod Taylor would give them a huge chance to win. Jay Cutler even would give them a better chance to win than what they've had, and I'm not a Jay Cutler fan at all. No, I don't think any of the three of us are. It's the most intriguing quarterback market 
ever, this one for me. There's so many guys. I mean, Garoppolo's another guy who would be perfect for them, but I just don't see any way in hell the trade period to make that trade. because I also don't think the Texans would ever make, uh, given what's happened with Brock Osweiler, I don't think they'd make that gamble. I just don't think... Okay, Garoppolo did though, well on three games. Don't you, with, with Garoppolo? That's, that's the big difference. Yeah, because you've got Bob there. Um, I suppose that's... that. Yeah, I give you that, but... Even if you're in the back office, uh, and even in the front office, I don't think that they could go down that route again oh. for a guy that's not tested. Um, yes, the Patriots couldn't. I mean, if they think anything of Jimmy Garoppolo, they're not going to give him to a team that, if he's that good, it will easily become their biggest comp- biggest threat in the AFC. I, I think mean, a, a, an area that is of real need as well for the Texans is in a wide receiver. I like. Do you? I really do. I think. Really? Yeah. Well, you've got Hopkins, but what else have you got there? Well, I mean, Will Fuller. Will, Will, Mate, Will Fuller, Fuller drops. Take, Will Fuller's yeah. been a dropping machine for the pretty no, much. I like. I like Will Fuller a lot. I think he had a couple of drops, but I think he's the machine. talent level. The talent level is there. Uh, see, I, I I never liked Will Fuller in the draft, and I'm still not a huge fan. But I mean, you've given him first round pick, so you have to. You committed to developing him. Braxton Miller's the interesting one for me because. Those quarterback turned receivers generally take two or three years, so you might see a big year one to two jump from him. Um, he's 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 very uh, he's got great athleticism, and, and I think he's a guy who could become a good slot receiver in the NFL. The only guy I can think that's ever made that transition quickly is Terrell Pryor, who is <laughs> one of the more interesting free agents this off season, but. But yeah, I just—I honestly think the Texans, if they can get even half serviceable quarterback player, probably the best team in the FC next season. And I include the Patriots in that because wow, it's it's just unbelievable how good that defense should be. You do love Bill O'Brien, don't you? I, well, he I, does I, love I hyperbole. Think been, I think he's been one of the best. <laughs> Who's hyperbole? Who's he play for? <laughs> Uh, what was there was a, there was a great moment of hyperbole from Sherry on uh, that, that on could very well be earlier. the greatest pass I've ever seen. I still think it is. I've not changed on that in the circumstances. That was <laughs> up there with Eli Manning to Manningham against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. They're the two that, that immediately spring to mind. Well, well, there you go. I just I enjoyed it thoroughly. I'm with you, man. I'm so, with you. It's not like he just lobbed it up. It was outstanding, and what wasn't talked about, and we'll probably, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it in. We'll talk about it next next show as well. Was that it was designed? <laughs> Roger said after the game it was a schoolyard play. Cobb said after the game, oh, it, to Robert Klemko, yeah, he just yeah. said it was like when it's like a kid going and drawing it in the dirt. He, and he that just play told, was yeah. in no wasn't in their playbook. He just told the receivers what to do, and that, that's that just, is ludicrous. Just blows my mind. Sorry, I, I, I might start crying for my love of Aaron Rodgers again. <laughs> and um, we need to really wrap this up. We really do. <laughs> Uh, look, boys, I think we've all agreed that the Cowboys have the best chance for next year and that we are set for, t- well, one fantastic matchup for this weekend and one we will get into. If, if the right Steelers turn up and if that defense can play, I still, I'm just not convinced. I feel like it was the Chiefs whiffing rather than the Steelers turning up. But we could see two absolutely stonking championship games this coming Sunday. Um, we, and we're going to be going to watch them at the Hippodrome. So if anyone wants to come Sherry, and join us. You're coming down, aren't you? I'm not. Oh. Never been part of the plan <laughs> he's, got, he's got a small child. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. Uh, me and Ollie are certainly going to watch it there with a big group of guys, so feel free to come and join us. With my team around people, 
Uh, that is the real. <laughs> uh, yeah, trust me. I remember you watching Super Bowl Forty Nine around people, and I was I was the next bank of desks over from you, and I could see the stress on your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't nice. It was great at the end. Though. Yeah, yeah, obviously because you won. But uh, imagine if it hadn't been. Imagine if they just bothered punching in. Let's not get into that, uh, gents. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us, Sherry and Ollie. Uh, as always, any final thoughts? None. Beautiful. Well, Super Bowl party. Gridiron-magazine.com forward slash Super Bowl LI. Book your tickets before they sell out. Always in association with Touchdown Trips, and we're always such big fans of Ben Morsom here. If you are thinking to yourself, ooh, those games do look good this weekend. I did save some money on my tax bill this year. That only really works if you're self-employed, but I've just got that little bit in savings maybe just maybe a once in a lifetime opportunity then get in touch with ben he's the man to sort you out otherwise thank you for listening to the show tweet us as always at gridiron and make sure you go onto instagram and check out that video of ollie it is brilliant this has been the gridiron show <laughs>